Hey, it's John Williams. If your home struggled to stay warm this winter, then you know it's going to be hot this summer. Maybe it's those old leaky windows and doors. Call Next Door and Window, the company we hired. Right now, you'll get buy one, get one 30% off, plus 18 months of interest-free financing. So call 1-800-NEXT-DOOR right now. That's 1-800-NEXT-DOOR or go to 1-800-NEXTDOOR.COM. Podcast. Okay, I'm excited to play on Thanksgiving this year. As a kid, you always remember watching the Thanksgiving game, and now we get an opportunity to play in it. After missing last year, I'm definitely excited to play on Thursday. The number one part of it is that for both of us, it's a really short week. They do what they do, we do what we do, and you have to get rolling. WGN Radio presents Hogan Johns. What time is it? Once again, they decide to take another revealing peek back into history. We're underway here in overtime. Davey Williams at the 5, to the 10, to the 15, to the 20. He breaks through to the 25, to the 30. Coming to the near sideline, he's to the 40, he's to the 50, down the sideline, he's to the 30, he may score, he's going to win it. A kickoff return by Davey Williams, 95 yards, and the Bears win it in unbelievable fashion. With WGN's Adam Hogue. No, you don't get presents on Thanksgiving, you get turkey. And from the athletic, Adam Johns. This will be your most memorable Thanksgiving. Here they are. It feels good to win. The Adams. Let's make sure we don't get complacent. Hogan Johns. What's up? Welcome in a Thanksgiving edition of Hogan Johns as the Bears get ready to play the Lions. And episode two of our uh, double episode Tuesday for you guys. A double header. Let's play two. That's right. We had the athletic episode for you that went up bright and early Tuesday morning on the Athletics 2010 Bears all-decade team. And it was fun. It's still out there. Go check it out. Please subscribe. Uh, the uh, story's out there as well. There's some debate in the comments. It was fun. It was a good podcast. Yeah. Uh, so uh, for those of you that missed it, the uh, Athletic, uh, namely Adam Johns and Kevin Fishbane, put together the Bears all-decade team for the 2010s. And uh, then we did a podcast about it. So that was your athletic podcast for this week. And uh, and, it, and it was fun to do. And so that's out there now, both the piece on the, the All-Decade team that you can read and also the podcast, but you need to be subscribing to The Athletic. So again, that's theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns. And you can subscribe there, get 40% off uh, by subscribing there. And it's a great time to do that. So you get that and you get this one here as we preview the Bears and Lions this week. A short, quick turnaround week. Uh, and then it doesn't, it's not, you don't get the normal break that you get after the Thursday game because the Bears play on Thursday again next week. <laughs> no weekend off for us. No, the uh, schedule's all jacked up right now, but that's okay. We'll get through it. Um, follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, H O G E, at Adam Johns, J A H N S. Read us at WGNRadio.com slash Bears and The Athletic, TheAthletic.com, The Athletic app. Please rate and review the podcast. We appreciate you doing that. And you can find it everywhere you listen to your pods, on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever they call it these days, Spotify, Google Play, it's all there for you. And we appreciate you guys being loyal listeners and hopefully enjoying these two episodes as you travel wherever you go for Thanksgiving. And please do it safely because I know there's weather all over the country right now. And I just hope it doesn't affect us getting to or from Detroit, Johnsy. <laughs> you know, maybe if it prevented us, I think I might be willing to, to, oh, yeah. to accept it. That's me. That's me. You know, no offense to Detroit. I've actually come to like my time in the Motor City. Maybe not on Thanksgiving, but uh, downtown Detroit. It, it's not too bad. Eh, it's pretty bad. <laughs> A little Joe Muir's action. We'll have a nice dinner at. That's what we've made it what it is because we uh, we like the hotel we stay at and we like our our dinner in Joe Muir's every year. So. I think Chris Emma was talking about maybe a trip to Windsor. I am not going to do that. <laughs> uh, people have other interests at heart, but <laughs> you know, let's not get too sidetracked here, Adam. Right. Well, that would be uh, that would definitely be a Chris Emma move to do that. Um, all right. One thing I wanted to bring up before we dive into what happened at Hallis Hall today, and it was a busy day, kind of a whole week uh, crushed into one day over there. Um, the other thing that you guys did on The Athletic, which we did not cover in the other podcast, 
was a what-if column on all the what-ifs, one from each year, right, uh, on the entire 2010 decade for the yes, Chicago Bears. Yes. So basically starting in, in 2010 and ending in, in 2019, uh, there's your decade. There you go. And let me just say, because I just went through it and read it um, before we sat down to record this podcast, oh my God, was it painful. <laughs> you know, people are like, why are you doing this to us? How could you write this at this point? Like, truth be told, you know, let me peel back the, the curtain here a little bit. We've been working on this kind of sporadically for the past three four weeks that this what if piece is so it's not our fault that the bears <laughs> have completely fallen off the rails since then uh we we've we had this idea uh we were just kind of amazed to kevin fishbane and i just how many of these what ifs are still kind of like talking points like people still bring them up whether it's radio hosts or, or fans or, or emailers twitter guys whatever people still bring up many of these points whether they're making arguments or, or looking back or reflecting I know some of them are painful and they want it to be forgotten, but I still feel like I hear one or two of them mentioned every other week. Uh, it was a fun piece to go through. So, so check it out if you dare. Now, there's a lot of painful things to get through from a, a Jay Culler injury to a Chris Connie something or the other. <laughs> just just check it out. Yeah, I want to talk about a couple of these, um, and it won't spoil the whole piece. But, yeah, there's the, the kind of the obvious one, like why? what if Jay Cutler didn't get hurt or made it through that game with the knee injury? Um, of course, uh, you know, the reason why each one of these is so big is because it's like not only the obvious of, oh, they could have gone to the Super Bowl, but could how much did that end up affecting Jay Cutler's entire career because of the way he got labeled after that. So there's so many uh, different things. I like the one from 2011, though, because what if Cutler didn't get hurt against the Chargers? People don't talk about that as much, but not only did it lead to that 7-3 and season at that time just going completely off the rails, but it led to Jerry Angelo getting fired, which probably doesn't happen if Cutler stays healthy and they end up winning that entire year. Yeah. People forget how good they were, like really good that year, right? And yeah. kind of like you talk about dominoes and, and, and like a ripple effect, how one thing affects the, the other. That, that's a classic example of one injury having a domino effect that, that actually took things into like different years, right? You know, mm-hmm. like Jerry Angel got blamed for not having a backup quarterback. So then Phil Emery gets Jason Campbell and it still wants to fire Lovey, even though they go in 10 and 6. You know, it's just the domino effect of, of these decisions, or, or not these decisions, at least in Cutler's case, but the the injury and what type of ripple effect that type of... Uh, when, when a player is, is that important and that hurt, what type of effect it can have on an organization. It's just amazing how each year of this entire decade had like some mammoth what-if. That, you know, the ones we've talked about in the past, uh, what if they had hired Bruce Arians over Mark Tressman? Um, what if Phil Emery didn't give Jay Cutler that seven-year contract, which, you know, at the time, it cert- I, I was certainly on the side of you take Cutler over Josh McCown, but when you you look back on it, they didn't need to give him seven years and all that much money, right? Right. I, I used the word decision earlier. That's a decision that had a ripple effect. Talk about dominoes. That affected Ryan Pace's Bears more than it did Phil Emery's Bears. Mm-hmm. Pace, uh, I don't, hamstrung, is that a good way to put it? Like You had this massive contract on your books that you could not move, you could not trade. Cutting him would have just left this big financial cap it so and you know what Cutler's still a competitive guy he's still a pretty capable quarterback he kept you afloat in games you know you had a a, a record that affected your draft status because of Cutler and things like that so basically in a lot of ways it it almost prevented Pace from making his move for a quarterback earlier Uh, it kept the Bears competitive which ruined their draft status if they're really trying to rebuild and you know again just another example of a decision that has long-term consequences, long-term dominoes falling based on a move like that. And some of these things that uh, Kevin Fishbane listed in a tweet uh, that didn't make the cut, this gives you an idea why you need to go read this. And, oh my God, it's just amazing. 
because when I saw when I saw Fishbane's tweet, I hadn't read the piece yet. Now, I, I, my first reaction was immediately like, "Wait, how does that not make the cut?" Because each one of these is still such a big thing. What if Marion Barber had stayed in bounds in Denver? I, I warned you, people. This is painful. Okay, what what if the Bears didn't trade Greg Olson? What if they didn't cut Robbie Gold? Those three, I saw that. I'm like, how in the world are those not on your list? And then you read it, and you go, oh, yeah. That's how many amazing bad decisions have been made in one decade for one franchise. And and you know what? Like, Kevin was limited by the the Twitter count, the Twitter character count. (laughs) We we had a a what if Mike Glennon was actually, like, productive. or Like, could you imagine, uh, like, what does that do for Trubisky? What does that do for Fox? Is Dal Loggins still here? That's a different type of domino that I think some fans did not want to see played out. But what if Mike Glennon was a capable quarterback for the year of Mike Glennon? You get through every year, and then you get to 2017. So you're already, you're already seven years in. You get to 2017, and then it's the whammy. What if they had drafted Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> Good luck, people. I encourage yeah. you to read this because you'll remember. You know, it, it is uh, like you, you kind of need to go through the last decade. It's a good exercise, but it's also painful. Yes, yes, yes. It's look. I know some people don't. Well, some people were being sarcastic. You know, well, what if George Ellis didn't found the Bears and stuff like that? Well, okay, people. Yeah. But this is an exercise. And what, what do they say? An exercise in futility, yeah. in, in a sense, when you look back at some of the decisions that have been made. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of what-ifs about this year yep. as well. Uh, it's just the way it plays out with sports. It's good for conversation. And it's it's kind of fun to reflect on certain things that people have such ah, – what's the best way to put it, Adam? What, what, how would you describe these types of memories for, for some of these people. Look, it, it's been, it's just, it's been a painful decade for uh, a franchise that has struggled. And um, I think especially when you look in the, in there and you see that there were actually a couple teams that were pretty darn good. You know, one team that was in the NFC championship game, another team the following year that was you guys, you guys argued in the piece, maybe the most talented team uh, that, that just completely fell off the rails after Cutler got hurt. Then you have, Last year's team that was in the playoffs and Cody Parkey misses the kick. And then in the middle of all that, you have complete chaos and the Mark Tressman, Phil Emery era. So, you know, it certainly wasn't a good decade for the Bears, but oh, was it a memorable one. And and for a lot of bad reasons, unfortunately. And you you kind of read through that, Johnsy, and, and, you know, you wrote it. And it's like you sit here and you go, well... Give Bears fans a break. <laughs> For, you know, sometimes the the uh, emotional takes and the um, you know kind of the craziness that we hear, we hear it a lot on our on our voicemail line every week too. But um, it, it you kind of understand why it is the way it is. I hope at, at the very least, if anything, this was therapeutic in a sense. Right before Thanksgiving, you know what? Maybe it gives you something to argue about with that crazy uncle at Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, just keep it away from politics and keep it on the Bears. Yeah. (laughs) Food will be thrown either way. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, well, before we get into uh, how painful this Thursday Thanksgiving could be for Bears fans, um, any takeaways from Hallis Hall today as we heard from Nagy, all the coordinators, Mitch Trubisky, the locker room was open. It was a busy day. I don't know how you felt, Adam, about Matt Nagy's press conference, but but he was, you know, peppered again with, with questions about, you know, no huddle, up-tempo stuff, the, the use of play action. And I, I don't know, maybe this is just my interpretation because I, I want it to be this way. But I thought he came off more open-minded, like, yeah, you know, we're going to try those things, we're going to do these things. You know, I feel like we've heard similar things before, but if you look at Trubisky's success in the no-huddle, you'll wonder why he doesn't do it more. And the Bears already do it a lot, but why not a little bit more? Uh, Why don't they use play action? You saw what he did against the Giants. Obviously, things worked. I know it's the Giants. Let's not get too carried away about what the Giants are. They're, they're an awful football team, especially defensively, but for a quarterback who's searching for something good, 
he looked pretty darn good in some play action plays, I would say, against the Giants. So why not continue to these things? So, look, maybe it was just me talking myself into thinking that Matt Nagy's more open-minded. Um, maybe I read this completely wrong, but that's my takeaway from today at Dallas. Yeah, so, it, you know, it's funny. You and I both spent our Mondays uh, doing similar things um, because within minutes of each other, we both tweeted our our. Uh, stats that we had put together after charting Mitch Trubisky's game uh, and looking into the play action uh, versus plays that were not play action. So, uh, you know, you talk about podcast chemistry. It's, it's, there's no better example, right? Yeah. <laughs> synergy. Hashtag synergy. That, that's what uh, the old GM would call this. Oh, yeah. Synergy. Phil Every. It's, uh, but the good kind. The good kind of synergy. Yes, yes. Good kind. All, all positive you know, not the worst defenses in in the entire history of the Chicago Bears. Bad synergy. So here, here's the thing, though. I didn't know, really know what to take away from our findings of that. So the numbers on play action versus without play action, and I combine play action with rollouts, um, but there was only a couple plays. Most of the plays had both. Most of the plays where they rolled were also play action. There were two other ones that were, were just straight rollouts without play action. But anyway, look, I came up with 19 of those plays. Mitch was 12 of 18, which is 67%, 184 yards, a touchdown, and he, uh, he picked up two yards on the ground on scrambles. Uh, but good numbers there. Then you go to the plays without play action, and you throw in, uh, it's, it's 24 plays, 10 of 20, so only 50% of his passes, only 89 yards, no touchdowns, and two interceptions. However, if you then throw in the fact that the Ben Broniker drop, which could have been, could have been, we don't know this for sure, but could have been a 29-yard touchdown... That was not play action or a rollout. And then you also account for the fact that the play that came back from Cody Whitehair's hands to the face, which was a nice throw to Allen Robinson, catch and run, that yak that you talked about the other night, 60 yards. Well, now you're adding 89 yards to that, to that total. Uh, can I do math correctly there? Right? 89 yards extra. So that's doubling the output. You're adding a touchdown, and you're taking away one of the interceptions uh, because the, inter- the first interception came right after that Ben Broniker drop. Well, then all of a sudden, the numbers actually look pretty identical. And I, it's hard to punish Mitch for either of those plays. I know it's sort of that what-if game. that Apparently, that's the theme of this podcast. But after I considered all that, I didn't really know what to take away from this. So if you look at the the hard numbers and you know, here at the athletic, we, we use a lot of sport radar stuff. So it, here's my general takeaway is okay. The, the play fake passes, the, the, you know, the play action passes. It was according to sport radar by far his most in a game this season by far. Okay. The up tempo stuff. Let me go back to my notes here. He had 12 against the giants. That's, also a season high in sports radars, sports radars breakdowns, okay? So they obviously did something a bit differently than they normally do, to say the least. Like, they, they uptick both of those plays, okay. uh, or uh, that, that type of play. And, and here's what really stood out to me. So if you look specifically at no huddle and play action statistics, the Bears are starkly different than the Chiefs. It's, they're, they're not even in, in, in the same uh, galaxy, whatever you want to see. Like, it's just, they're just so different, right? The Chiefs rank first in play-action plays. First. First. And they rank last in no-huddle stuff, while the Bears are among the league leaders in no-huddle, and while they are among the... They, they use play action among the least frequent. Um, um, like they're, they're at the bottom of the league in the use of play action. So it's like the exact opposite of what the Chiefs are doing. I'm trying to make sense of this, but doesn't Matt Nagy come from the Andy tree? I get that the the people will change what the, the teacher teaches. You see that with Doug Peterson. That's why his offense can use a Jordan Howard or Matt Nagy's cannot. 
But the disparity, the, the complete flip of the statistics, I, I'm actually having trouble to understand it. I think it's more than Trubisky. I think it's more than Nagy. I think it's more than personnel. It's a lot of the all of the above things going on right now for the Bears. Well, and here's another thing I wanted to point out because it seems like there's been a theme in the questioning that Hallis Hall the last couple of days about why the Bears are not running more no huddle. Okay, well, I just gave you the numbers uh, how Mitch was better with play action than without play action, uh, except I did point out the one caveat of those two plays that came back, which did fall into the non-play action plays. Well, do you, do you realize that all of those no huddle plays were done without play action or a rollout? Every single one of them. So, and... Neither of those two plays where I kind of threw in there to, to, to help boost Mitch's non-play action stats, neither of those were no huddle. So in reality, when you look at it, the no huddle wasn't as effective as it actually seemed when we were watching that game live because a lot of it came on that one drive where they did score the touchdown. Um, right. Right. But if you looked at it, the actual plays on that drive where they picked some picked up some big yardage, they were doing it without no huddle too. It was a good, which is the point I'm getting to right here. Okay, guys. The point here is that what works, or here's what doesn't work, what all this shows. When Mitch just has to stand at the line of scrimmage in a slow, methodical offense where he needs to read the field before and after the snap with a drop back, with no help, with no rollout, with no play action, with no tempo. That's where he struggles. Okay? I mean, that's honestly what we're learning here. You help him out, though, with play action, with rollouts, with no huddle, with some tempo. The point here, though, mix it up. All of a sudden, Mitch Trubisky looks like a better quarterback and plays better. And it's not just this year. We've seen that in the past. We saw that last year. And I would even go back to his first year which mostly gets dogged and thrown out of the window, but they did a lot. I've, do- I've dogged it. I've thrown it out the window. I have to go find it. <laughs> I know, and, and, I, and it's fair, except for the fact that if you go back and watch it, they did some play action, and you look at that offense he was in, he made better decisions. So I guess the point, to me, this gets back to Nagy, and why, why has it been such a struggle for him to work in these elements this season to help his quarterback that clearly plays better when he gets some of this. That's what I'm struggling with. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I think Matt Nagy sees the film, and he sees missed throws by Mitch Trubisky. I think he sees missed opportunities, uh, widespread missed opportunities. And I understand, hey, my offense is working. Like, the, the throws are there. He's just not making them. We need Mitch to make them in what I'm calling. But at the same time, I think it's also fair, like you're getting at, to mm-hmm. question why Mitch is not being put more into a comfort zone with, with what is actually working right now for the quarterback, you know? Like what is actually producing tangible results that aren't just like missed opportunities, but are actually completed passes where the quarterback looks comfortable. That's what we're – I think that's what – like in terms of like the, what we're seeing and in, in, in believing, we see Mitch Trubisky – in play action, complete explosive passes down the field against the Giants. And I know the Giants are bad, but you know what? It's better than everything else he's been doing the entire season. You know, Maybe you want to continue with that going forward. I think that's my point. I think it's a lot of people's points right now is, yes, Mitch is struggling in what Nagy wants to do. And, yes, there are missed opportunities that Mitch is missing. I get it. But – Putting your players in better positions to succeed consistently is still the head coach's job. We see that with Lamar Jackson every single week. Every week. Maybe the Bears should – look, it, it's almost cliche, but you see different things work for Trubisky. You just wonder why the Bears aren't doing it more and more often. Yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's the big question I think a lot of people are asking, and I, and I think it's a fair question. I think it's a fair question at this point in the season. All right. Um, which leads us to a cry that a lot of fans have had. And I think to some extent, it's, it's a conversation worth having. But that's the idea of Nagy giving up calling plays. Okay? 
And I think a lot of people just are like fed up with what exactly what we're talking about, and they don't think he's calling the right plays at the right time. For me, it's not as much about that. But I do think that there is an argument here for him to let someone else call plays the rest of the season. Especially, I wouldn't do it this week on a short week uh, where they're just kind of, you know, he called plays against the Lions a couple of weeks ago. It's a short week. There's less time to prepare. Go play this game. But I would say, especially if you lose, if you lose, you're out. Of, I mean, you're. I mean, you're already out of the playoffs. You know, but you could mathematically be. I don't think you could mathematically be eliminated this week. Uh, but you lose. You lose. You're out. Right. I mean, that's really what this game is. Here's here's my argument for Nagy giving up plays. When you're an offensive coordinator, when you're a play caller, what is your job? Your job calling, calling plays. <laughs> well, but your job is to score points, right? Yes. Your, yes. Your your job is to score as many points as possible as long as that clock is ticking within a game. That's your job. You're supposed to score the points. And on the other side, if you're the defensive coordinator, you're supposed to not give up points, correct? All right. That's like what the crux of your job security is when you are an offensive coordinator or defense coordinator in football. All right. When you become a head coach, so you get that job to be the head coach, your job changes. What is your job then? It's to win football games. Okay? That's ultimately what it comes down to. Your job security now depends on winning football games. So when you are then the head coach and the offensive coordinator at the same time, you're taking on two jobs at once, and I think it's been proven in a lot of places, that that can be an okay, good, workable solution as long as you have a really good quarterback usually, right? So let's look at Saints right now and Sean Payton. Yep. Sean Payton's had a lot of success in this league, winning football games as a head coach while still scoring a lot of points as the play caller. But I also believe Pete Carmichael has handled some of those play calls, just like Andy Reid has given Eric Bieniemy or, or Matt Nagy in the past the, right. the same responsibilities. Yes, go on. Right, because... You cannot forget that your number one job still in that situation is to win the football games. Okay? It doesn't matter if you're scoring 13 points as long as the other team has 12. You win the game, then you did your job as the head coach for that day. All right? I think right now, Matt Nagy's sort of been crossed up this season between these two jobs that he has. And I'm not saying that he can't do it. He proved last year he could. But what I am saying is if the Bears are essentially eliminated from the playoffs, I think he could learn a lot by stepping up and give, stepping away from the play calling for the last quarter of the season and just be the head coach for four weeks and spend that time on the sidelines. As uh, you know, we hear from our, our guy, John Fox. He's not an offense coordinator. He's not a defensive coordinator. He coordinates all three, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, he did do that. Yes, no, I'm not an offense coordinator. I'm not a defense coordinator. I'm not a special teams coordinator, but I coordinate all three. Okay, we make fun of that because of what he, you know, how he said it. But you know, that's one of those where I actually kind of understand what Fox was saying if you really, you know, put the context into it. And that's all I'm. I, I think to me, that's the argument. If you really want Matt Nagy to give up play calling the rest of the season, to me, that's the argument. That especially when you look at like that sequence with the two point conversion. When you consider all the different problems that happened within like a minute and a half of real time, where you had a uh, what Nagy admitted today was an alignment problem on the two point conversion, which is why he called timeout. Then you had a penalty. Then you had a substitution problem, which actually happens on special teams after all that. And then you had a missed kick. To me, that's where, especially when you talk about that communication that happened there on the sideline with Chris Tabor and Matt Nagy and you know with the Bobby Massey injury within all that, that's a situation especially where you wonder if the guy wasn't so worried about getting the right personnel on the field, the right alignment, and the two point, right two-point conversion called. Well, maybe that all didn't happen, right? Yeah. I yeah. just... I, 
that to me, I'm not even saying that this is what should happen. I'm just to me, if you're going to make that argument, this is what the argument should be: that once you're eliminated from the playoffs, Nagy could step back. First of all, he could see what some other coach on his staff could do calling plays. Second, he could spend the last four weeks really analyzing what needs to change for next season. And after all that, then you get to the offseason, then he can take back the play call. That's fine. I just, I, To me, I actually think that there's a lot of um, validity to what I'm saying right now, and that might not be that bad of an idea. Can I give you uh, a counter-argument? Sure. One, one, I don't feel like Matt Nagy is ready to give up on the season quite yet. Uh, so I don't think he's going to give up on the play calling responsibilities quite yet. Okay, Two, so th- I, I, that's why I kind of like, added the caveat if they lose the Lions this week. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Two, that is such a – like he was here – he was hired in part because he would be Mr. Trubisky's play caller for the foreseeable future and, and beyond. They, they, that was the pairing they wanted, head coach slash play caller just like they have Sean Payton slash play caller and the quarterback. That was the model. That's what, that's what Ryan Pace wanted because that's what he saw work so well down in New Orleans. Three, I think the defense is fine. I, I know what you're saying. Like, like you, sometimes the head coach's input uh, could be extremely beneficial on a lot of things. I just think the offense is such a mess. And the defense – yeah, maybe at times it looks like they're treading water a bit, but but they're still pretty darn good. They're still a top ten defense. I think they're sixth or seventh in football outsiders DVOA, which is their you know advanced metric. Uh, they're still up there in points allowed. They're still up there in total yardage. Like Chuck Pagano's doing an all right job. Yes, the takeaways aren't there, but all in all, in terms of going Vic, from Vic Bangio to Chuck Pagano, it's been okay. Now now maybe he could spend a little bit more time with Chris Tabor. So a Brent Urban's not sprinting out there for God knows what reason, and, and Eddie Pinheiro can get out of his out of his own head. Uh, I can understand maybe some of the the special teams concerns, but I just think the the offensive problems right now are so glaring. I mean, they're they are at the bottom of the league, or close to it in so many different statistical categories that I think it's okay for right now if. The the offensive coach is obsessed, to use one of his words from last year, is obsessed with trying to get this right. And that includes his own play calls and analyzing his own play calls. I just hope, again, this goes back to like our, our argument earlier, like our, our takeaways from, this, from the press conference, that he's open-minded. Like if Mark Helfrich is walking into his office and saying, hey, these run calls will work, this play-action play will work, I hope Matt Nagy remains open-minded, like he said he was always going to be, to do some of the things that some of his assistants may or, not, may or may not be suggesting to him throughout the course of a week, or even in games, in quarters, during series. Yeah, and I just want to clarify, I'm not actually saying there's anything wrong with the defense or the defensive communication. I actually like I, I, I like that the way this has been structured in the last two years, where Nagy has basically had two very strong defensive coordinators that have done it for a long time, and he basically says, you're the head coach of the defense. I don't have a problem with that. But I do think there's still things he can learn if he steps back and kind of observes what Chuck Pagano's uh, doing. You know, I I saw my binoculars, and I'm forgetting the exact situation, but there was a penalty called the other day, Johns, um, where when the defense was on the field, and I was watching Nagy and Pagano, and Nagy just straight up asked Pagano, should I accept it or not? And Pagano said, yeah, push it back. Oh, it made it a first and 15 versus a second and 10. So right there, it was Pagano who made the decision on the penalty. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Actually, I think that's good communication. But away from the defense, why are they continually having alignment problems? Why are they having substitution problems? Why can't they get the right players on the field? Because that's been a theme. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, what is Nagy doing when substitutions are being made? What is he physically doing when all that's happening? His head is buried in his play card. He is in the process of calling the play. And it's his assistants that are running the personnel in and out of there. That's what's happening. And I've watched this very closely. And that's usually his head is in that play card until 15 seconds are left. And that communication shut off with his quarterback. And then usually he's looking at it then to the next play, right? 
the amount of stuff he's missing. And, and that's fine. He goes back, and I'm sure he's doing his job as a head coach when the game's over and looking at all that in, in, you know, when the game's over. I'm just saying, you, if you're eliminated from the playoffs, you have four weeks left. The amount of things you could learn by not having your head buried in that play card the entire game and observing what's going on in your sideline, understanding why there have been substitution problems, why players are aligned wrong, not waiting till the game's over to watch the tape to understand all that, but understand it in real time, there may be a better chance it can be corrected before the game is over. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Some, some Part of my, I guess my place on this debate would be like, Look, it's week 11, week week 12. Why aren't these guys in the right places right now anyway? Like, why don't they know what their personnels are? Like, it maybe it goes back to the teaching. Maybe it's Mike Fury. Maybe it's David Gone. Maybe it's the, the offensive assistance that Matt Nagy uses to help to get his personnels in order. Maybe Matt Nagy's taking too long to get to the next play. It's just, yes, there seems to be consistent breakdowns from the sideline to the field, and then you see that actually come to fruition actually through the play of Trubisky sometimes, I feel like, you know, where he can't play fast, he can't do the things he wants to do because he's still thinking, he's still making sure that Anthony Miller is in the right spot. You can't have that every single week, and we see it every single week. Yeah. So, again, it's just, and and to me, it'd be like a temporary thing just this last month of the season to help fix what what what's going wrong now in real time before you get to the offseason you just say oh what happened in 2019 we got to fix it for 2020 i just think it would be beneficial for 2020 that's that that's i don't know it, i i don't even think it's going to happen but it's just kind of where i stand on all of it i think it has less to do with the actual play calls and more to do with just you're the head coach so you know you do other head coaching responsibilities all right Let's talk about this game, the Bears at the Lions uh, in Detroit on Thursday, 11.30 a.m. Central Time on Fox. The whole Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, Aaron Andrews, Christina Pink crew in Detroit for this game. Uh, I believe this opened at the Lions. It was either at a pick'em or Lions as a one-point underdog. It is now a three-point spread. The Lions are three-point home dog here as they get ready to host the Bears. Well, what do you know about David Blau or Blue? More than you think I do. <laughs> well, I hope so. You, you probably covered him a little bit, right? I did. Um, he played last year uh, in the opener against Northwestern. Um, he'd been there for a few years, dealt with injuries, and then last year I know they used uh, both Elijah Sindelar and David Blau. Um, I ne- what I will say is I never thought in a million years I'd ever see him facing the Bears <laughs> in the NFL. Um, I also and yet here we are. Yeah, but I don't. It, Chuck Pagano sounded very confident today. He did. He that, sounded very convinced that Jeff Driscoll was going to play. Yes. So yeah, like he he had mentioned like their advanced scouting and what their scouts saw during that game and stuff. So yeah, it would seem to suggest that Jeff Driscoll is going to face the Bears for the second time this year. Or at least again, like you said, Chuck Pagano believes that. I would hope though that Matt Patricia would not be playing games with his injury report, considering I think he at least got a slap on the wrist for how the Matt Stafford situation was handled before the last time these two teams played. Um, so we'll see. Anyway, it's still Jeff Driscoll or David Blau. The Lions aren't very good. Um, but here's the problem. To me, the Lions defense, even though it's not great, is going to play a lot better on Thursday than it did a few weeks ago at Soldier Field when Trubisky was able to come up with three touchdown passes in just five overall passes at one point in the game. And if you, not that you throw out that five throw stretch, but the rest of the game was still a struggle. The Bears were still having the same problems they've been having all season. Penalties, drops, and it changed. Remember that whole first half was awful until Matt Nagy went for it on fourth and one from his own 29-yard line with about three minutes and 20 seconds left in the second quarter. And that lit a spark that the Bears went on to score three touchdowns and take control of the game. But even after that, it wasn't very pretty. So to me, the fear of the fact that it's in Detroit 
a home game now for the Lions on Thanksgiving where it matters to the Detroit Lions organization. I just think the defense can play a lot better than they did a few weeks ago at Soldier Field. And all of a sudden that puts you in another situation where, man, if the Bears still had that many moments against the Lions a few weeks ago where they looked bad, what happens if the Lions defense plays better? You do know that the Washington Redskins just beat the Detroit Lions, right? I do. The Washington Redskins. Yep. They are so bad that their starting young quarterback, the first rounder from Ohio State, couldn't go out there and take the kneel down, the quarterback victory formation, and kneel down the win because he was taking a selfie with a fan behind the bench. Yeah. The Detroit Lions lost to that guy in that team. I get there on the road, but that happened. That happened. Um, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I, I do. And I think there will be some very shaky moments for the Bears. It's just what they are. It's what they do. But they're still the better team. I almost feel like the defense, the Bears' defense may, may come alive in this one. Uh, they seem due for one of those multiple takeaways days, maybe a pick six or something. Um, can I put on my pick? I'll, I'll do my pick right now. Okay. Sure. I got I, – I, let, I hang on, let me make it. Let what? me make it uh, official here. Predictions. 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 I got twenty three, thirteen bears. So they cover and then some. And my bold prediction. You want to hit that button again? Bold predictions is a pick six by Eddie Jackson, and again <laughs> on Thanksgiving. Uh, going back to the Eddie Jackson interception well. <laughs> it's going to happen, I swear. I mean, it has to at some point. Um, unfortunately, there's some evidence that he's pressing a little bit, like that fourth and 18 touchdown they gave up because yeah. Jackson wasn't as deep as he should have been because it kind of looked like he was playing the ball a little bit too much. Um, all right, so completely fair to bring up the Washington Redskins game. Are you aware, though, that the Lions did not allow a touchdown? In that game. Again, it's the Washington. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying it's not like the it's not now if you came here and said to me, boy, this defense, the the Washington Redskins scored thirty on them, then I would have said, Okay, they're awful. But they still managed to win the game at their second win of the year. They did. Again, which yeah, says I, but I, I I know what you're saying, but but the problem they still is did it. The problem is it's the Lions' offense. I mean, the defense did its job. The Lions' offense without Matthew Stafford is obviously a a lot different here. Um, And they really shouldn't score many points against the Bears in this game. The Bears' defense is still playing well and still keeping them in games. However, that's been a theme even in the six losses the Bears have. I mean, there's been moments here and there where they slipped up, certainly. Um, But I'm going to do it. I have the Lions winning this game. I think it's going to be ugly. I don't think it's going to be a fun game to watch. I hate to be negative, but I think a lot of Bears fans are going to have their Thanksgiving ruined very early on in the day. Um, I think, you know, as far as a score goes, low scoring, like 13-10. Bears managed to only score one touchdown again. Um, yeah, I'm. I, they should... They should... Light up this this Lions team again. Mitch Trubisky's had success against the Lions, but I went back and I watched that game um, from a couple weeks ago. I watched it this morning again, and it's just I, I'm I'm tired of falling into the trap that the offense is just going to explode because last week against the Giants, that's what should have happened, and it did randomly. Here's an explosive play. Here's an explosive play. But the game was over, and they had 19 points against the Giants who, by the way, the only team they had kept under 27 the entire season was Washington. So I got the Lions winning, 13-10. Sorry. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy. What if? <laughs> <laughs> what if? Um, all right. Unfortunately, we do not have voicemails for you this week just because it's a short week. So we'll skip it this week. Bring it back next week. Everything will be fine, my friends. Um, but we do have other games that we quickly want to go through, even though it's early on in the week. It really is not going to make a difference. We've been so bad at picking games anyway. Might as well pick them on Tuesday, right? Yeah, yeah. Forget the injury report. <laughs> um, all right, so let's start with 
the uh, Thanksgiving games because we have some time to do that. And we will go with both Thursday games outside of the Bears and Lions. The Bills go to the Cowboys. Um, these are two teams that could be headed to the playoffs. Neither team inspires much trust to win a Super Bowl. Is that fair? 3.30 Thursday on CBS. The Cowboys, though, six-and-a-half-point favorite here. Yeah, yeah. I still, well, maybe the guys that run the books are like me, and you still can't believe that the Bills are 8-3. and three. Yeah, they've had it's a pretty still kind of, easy schedule. Yeah, well, which is fine, but still the Bills, they still got Josh Allen and a bunch of questions, but... Okay, yeah, they're eight and three. Um, how about Jerry Jones kind of lighting a fire underneath Jason Garrett? We'll see if it works. I have my doubts. I think he's been there for a long time. I'll, I'll um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Josh Allen and the Bills here uh, to cover. I think. Yeah, let's go with that. I, I don't have a lot of faith in the Cowboys either way. Um, Bill, you know what? How about Bills in an upset? Let's get crazy. Bills win outright. Outright. Let's get crazy. Well, based on what Jerry Jones had to say, uh, finally voicing some criticism, that might actually get Jason Garrett fired if that happens. Yeah, yeah. Josh Allen firing Jason Garrett. Yeah, you know, the Bills have been sticky. Um, I don't think they're a great team, but they're a team that's, you know, still got a good defense. It's a short week. I could definitely see the Cowboys turning things around in this game and kind of exploding offensively, um, kind of like they did against the Vikings a couple weeks ago. But against this defense, I don't know. I'm going to take the Bills to cover. Six and a half is a little bit too much for me. And we move on. And that's the facts. That's that's 100% truth. The Saints play in Atlanta, 7.20 p.m. Thursday night. Thanksgiving. This is your primetime game on Thanksgiving on NBC. Falcons are seven-point home dog. Falcons stink. Give me the Saints in a row. Yeah, Analysis over. <laughs> yeah, I know, but this has been weak. I mean, the Falcons went into New Orleans and won a few weeks ago. I know. And yet the spread's still seven. In a and I think they've lost lineup. some ugly games since then. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take the Saints, too, here. Um, I don't think if I was actually gambling, I would pick either of these games. I'd probably stay away from both of them, but yeah, I'll go with the I'll go with the Saints too. So bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. All right, the Packers on uh, Thanksgiving week. So this, we're going to Sunday now, noon Sunday on Fox. The Packers go to New York to face the Giants team. The Bears just beat Giants. Six and a half point home dogs. This number seems a little low to me, like a little bit too uh, too much of an overreaction to what happened to the Packers in San Francisco on Sunday. Yeah, this seems like a classic Aaron Rodgers route of a, of a severely inferior opponent. Uh, it's a good get right opponent to, to have, uh, even if the Packers are going on the, on the road. I, look, I'm not sold on what the Packers playoff potential could be look they're going to get in just because of how well they played over the first half of the season but man did the 49ers kind of expose them there just just the much better superior team uh last week but it, but in this game we know how bad the giants are if mitch trubisky can find some play action success you know aaron Rodgers is going to have plenty of that so give me the packers in a row yeah, I agree. I think the Packers bounce back here. I think they're a better team than they showed in San Francisco. Um, excuse me. And uh, I think the Giants just are downright awful. So I, too, will take the Packers here. Oh, and the floor. Best bring your bib because it's going to get messy. <laughs> hey, quick hypothetical for you, though. Okay? I realize the Bears' playoff chances are basically gone, but... The Packers and Vikings are both eight and three. Uh, you're not going to catch both of them, but if one team fell off, that's what you would need to happen to sneak into the playoffs with a miracle. The Bears would have to win out first and foremost, but that would mean a victory against both the Packers and the Vikings. So, um, which one do you think is more likely? So what you would need is to have one of those two teams also lose two other games. Does that make sense? 
Yes. Let me pull up their – keep talking. Let me right. pull up their uh, schedule. Because the Bears are three games behind both teams in the loss column, right? Okay, so if the Bears were to beat both of those teams, they would need the pa- either the Packers or the Vikings to also lose two other games. Now, if they did that with the Vikings, they would have the tiebreaker because they would have two wins against the Vikings uh, this season. Now, with the Packers, that would mean they'd split the season series, and I think then it goes to um, conference record, correct? Something like that. So it gets a yes. little sticky there. Yes. But I, let's to, just to keep it simpler, let's just look at the schedule. See if there's two other possible losses um, outside of what they would, you know, you need you need one of the two teams to lose three games to basically go two and three the rest of the way. That's what you're asking. Yes, yes. I, I would say the most likely of the two is probably the the Vikings. They got to go to Seattle and they got to go to Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, the the Packers have against the Chargers, the, right? Not the Rams. Yes, against yeah. the Chargers. Yes. The the Packers they got the Redskins. They got the Lions, they got the Giants that we just mentioned. So they got the easier slate, the mm-hmm. significantly easier slate as opposed uh, to the Vikings. Yeah, I think, um, you know, right now, I kind of feel like the Vikings are a better overall team than the Packers. Um, but I do think when you look at the schedules, when you consider not only do the Packers have the Giants and Redskins and Lions, um, they also get the Lions in Week 17, while the Bears would be playing the Vikings in Week 17, uh, that last game, and what would clinch also the tiebreaker. It, essentially, in this very unlikely scenario, you'd get the head-to-head opportunity in Week 17 against Minnesota. And I also agree, when you look at their schedules, the Vikings have a, a, a tougher road overall uh, with those other... Like, they... I, well, we're about to pick it here. We might as well do it here. We'll go out of uh, order for a second. The Vikings go to Seattle Monday night football, seven fifteen Monday on ESPN. The Seahawks are three point favorite in Seattle. I want to pick Seattle. Uh, I, I, I really do, and I actually think maybe that the, the Vikings are just. I do think they're the superior team, but sometimes just winning in Seattle on the, on the road is difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking about an outright victory here. Look, I don't know if the Seahawks are going to cover the three. They could win in the last second field goal for, for all I know. But I, I just think sometimes winning in Seattle is extremely difficult. Russell Wilson will make plays against that Vikings defense. You know he will. He's an MVP candidate for a reason. It just seems like a game. Again, isn't it not a primetime game, too? Kirk Cousins, you know, he got yeah. that off uh, is is he got the old monkey off his back not too long ago, but can he do it again? Let's see. Give me Russell Wilson in this one. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the Seahawks win this game, and and you know what? Just for the heck of it, I'll say they cover two. It's only three points, um, so I will take Seattle too. And, and so I think as we kind of talk this out, this is your best case. First of all. The Vic Fangio blowing that lead to Minnesota a couple weeks ago really hurt, ends up hurting the Bears. Um, you know, in in any uh, pie in the sky scenarios where they still have a chance in in this whole thing, but it would have looked a lot more realistic had the Vikings lost that game. So as it stands, if the Vikings were to lose to the Seahawks, um, they'd have to lose one other game between the Lions at home, at the Chargers, and then against the Packers. At home, one other game, that kind of seems possible, right? But again, this is all based on the idea that the Bears would win out, setting up a you know Week 17 game winner take all for a wild card between the Bears and Vikings. And this just gets to the back to the reality here with this Bears offense. I just cannot see that happening. I just and dude, can't, dude. My man, you just picked the Lions on Thanksgiving. I know, I know. Just say it. So, well, exactly. I just that's why I wanted to be clear. Um, even if you want to play the what if game, that's the theme of this podcast uh, with the Packers and Vikings schedule to create what actually is possible with the Vikings here to catch them. If you win out, you just get back to reality of the idea of come on, come on with what you've seen with the Bears. I mean, it's great. Let's say they win. On Thanksgiving, which you think they should, a lot of people that sh- think they should, 
Vegas thinks they should. They're favorites in this game. Okay, they win that game. Now you get the Cowboys, which, hey, you just called a Bills victory. They could be just going into a tailspin then, the Cowboys. And maybe you win that game the following week. Then all of a sudden you have uh, you know your rivalry game against the Packers. Throw out the records, right? You're getting revenge for what happened in week one. Come on, we're already in like a very... Un- come on, is that really all going to happen? And then, oh, by the way, the Chiefs come to Chicago the week after that. However, I will say, if the Bears did manage to win the next three games and all of a sudden the Chiefs are coming into Chicago on Sunday night in a big game, yeah, I'd give the Bears a chance. With that Bears defense, they always have a chance. Yeah. It's just what the, the offense does to keep up. Okay, fine. That's it. Lock it up. It's happening. Bears win out. Vikings lose. <laughs> they get the Bears get the wild card in Week 17. Lock it up. You better lock it up. You better lock it up. No, you lock it up. You lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. So you're picking the Bears on Thanksgiving now? <laughs> yeah, I just changed my pick. No, no, I'm not. I'm just having fun. Um, speaking of locks, I think I actually will lock the Packers against the Giants in that game. Uh, we do have one more NFL game, then we'll speed through through the rest of this. The uh, 49ers are going to Baltimore. How is this a noon game? Noon Sunday on Fox. 49ers. At Baltimore, the Ravens are six-point home favorite, which seems like a lot. I love the way the Ravens play. I, I've said it several times on this podcast. I am on Lamar Jackson bandwagon, but, man, is that defensive line for the 49ers good. Yep. That is a very good defense. Uh, they can handle a lot of the power stuff. I just feel like with their front four, a lot of the power stuff that the Ravens are going to throw at them um, – I think the 49ers cover. I think the Ravens still get this one, but the 49ers will cover. I agree. I think the Ravens win, um, but I, I love the 49ers to cover here. I know it's been said like every week, oh, this is going to be the team that stops what Lamar Jackson's doing. Um, I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case, but I do think they keep it close enough with that great defense that they have. The 49ers are up there with the Patriots. It's two best defenses in football this year, and it's not even really that close. Um, so I think you got to keep that in mind. Although we saw what the Ravens did to the Patriots, right? So maybe, you know what? That probably explains why the line is where it is uh, at minus six. But I am going to take the Niners here. All right. It's rivalry week in college football. Which includes the biggest game of all time, which we'll get to in a second. But first, we'll start with the hat. Northwestern goes to Illinois. And how about this? A spread none of us probably thought we'd see at the beginning of the season. But Illinois is a nine and a half point favorite in Champaign, 11 a.m. Saturday on FS1. Thank you to the Big Ten and the TV networks for scheduling this at 11 a.m. so I can get to Mark Carmen's wedding on time. I appreciate it. Hmm. Congratulations, Carm. Um, I feel like the Wildcats, Go Cats, are going to cover. Is, is there any way they win this one, Adam? There is, and I think they do win it. Ooh, explain. Um, I Look. It's been fun what Illinois has done this year, and I give Lovey Smith a lot of credit. Um, I think these two teams and these two programs are still closer together than what's been shown for most of the season. Now, my big concern, obviously, is what can Northwestern get out of the quarterback position. But, you know, Andrew Marty looked okay last week and showed an ability to run and be tough. Uh, when he's running, an element that I'm not sure they've had for most of the season, and he made some throws when they needed to. It's going to be tough, but that was against Minnesota. Minnesota's a really good team, and this is a rivalry game. Uh, what does Northwestern have yet left to play for this season? This is it, and they got some good seniors. They got Joe Gaziano, who's you know the Big Ten's all-time. Uh, he just became the. Um, uh, Northwestern's all-time sack leader last week. So I still think that for Northwestern, they have a lot to play for in this game. 
Um, I love them to cover that nine and a half, and I do think that there's a realistic chance that they leave Champagne with the hat and bring it back to Evanston. I'm going. I'm with you. Um, I don't know. Something about this game just seems to strike me as a game Northwestern is going to surprise uh, the Illini and really put, you know, they're going to play the wet blanket of, of the season and, and throw it all over the fighting Illini. I'd like to see him get his hands on more balls. All right. Um, now to the big one. The axe is on the line this week, Adam Johns. And I have to say, for the first time, really, since I was a freshman at Wisconsin, this actually means something. <laughs> so congratulations to the uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers for getting their program back to the point where this game matters more than just it being a rivalry game. There is legitimate stuff on the line here. The Big Ten West, the winner of this game, goes on to the Big Ten Championship game. Um, it will impact where these teams ed- end up in their bowls. And maybe Minnesota still has a small shot at getting into the playoff if they were to actually beat Wisconsin and Ohio State in back-to-back weeks. Maybe. Um, but. This is a big one. And Minnesota, two and a half point uh, underdogs, though, to the Badgers at home, 2.30 p.m. Saturday on ABC, and College Game Day is headed to Minneapolis for the first time ever for this game. So you know it's big. What's that rule you have? Biggest game of the year, home dog, something like that? Yes, biggest game of the year, home dog, but at nighttime. Oh, 2.30. It'll be dark by the end of it. Um, That's a good point. Probably I'm, be dark by halftime. I'm going, I'm going golfers, man. Sorry. Game okay. day's there. Give me Minnesota. Ruining your weekend. Okay. What you're ignoring <laughs> is that for the first time since I was a freshman at Wisconsin, the Gophers actually managed to win the Axe last year. They came into Camp Randall and season the Badgers were kind of struggling through, really struggling through. Um, without much quarterback play. And Minnesota came in there, snuck in, stole the axe, and left. I think, John Z, that it was just the polite thing for Wisconsin to do. To remind them that, yes, P.J. Fleck, this is a rivalry. It hasn't seemed like it 13 years. Was it 13 or 14? I believe it was 14. Um, so they said, hey, look, just remember, this is a rivalry. Why don't you get a taste of the axe? Now they're going to go in there, spoil the Gopher season, take it back down 94 to Madison. Badgers win. They cover. Lock it up, Badgers. You better lock it up. You better lock it up. No, you lock it up. You lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. There's absolutely no emotion in that pick either. I want to make that very clear. And the Gophers are keeping the axe. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a big one. It'll be, maybe gonna, I'll watch it. <laughs> there's going to be some screaming in my car as I'm going from Champaign to Chicago for Carm's wedding. Um, but I'm, it's going to be fun. That's why we have Adam on the sidelines. He knows everything that's he going on. He nailed that one. All right, last game. You know it. It's the Iron Bowl. Number five, Alabama at number 15, Auburn. Auburn, a three-and-a-half-point home dog. Very similar line here. 2.30 Saturday on CBS. This game's going up against Wisconsin and Minnesota. Alabama. Simple as that. Even without Tua. Yeah. They got his brother, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> Is he really? That, that's their backup quarterback? I believe so. Is his brother? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Um, I was just going to go with Alabama, too, because it's Alabama. Let me make this. Let me double check this. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That that can't be right, is it? Yeah. The backup quarterback is his brother? Uh, I think it's actually Mac Jones, but there is another. That sounds right. Yes, I know. But but two of his brothers on the team, is he not? Okay. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. All right. We'll put him in. Talia. That's how you pronounce his name. Talia. Put well, Talia in. Well, look, um, the backup has experience because they pull Tua all the time. And um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, it is a rivalry game. It is Auburn. Um, but I think 
Alabama. Ah, man, this is tough. Yeah, I'm going to go with Alabama because everyone's everything's here screaming you to take Auburn at home. So I'm going to take I'm going to take Alabama. Although I think that was my thinking on the uh, LSU game a few weeks ago, and that did not work out in my favor at all. But hey, none of these picks have pretty much all season. That's the name of the game, Adam. We have sucked at picks. (laughs) No question about it. All right. Let's get out of here. Most importantly, we are thankful for our listeners. We're thankful that you're spending part of your Thanksgiving week with us here on the podcast and hope you enjoyed it. Um, If you haven't yet listen to our athletic episode this week discussing the Bears All-Decade team. It is a, uh, a a great podcast that you can listen to even after the Bears-Lions game if you chose to listen to this one first. Um, you know, you can take it on your ride home after Thanksgiving with you. Uh, definitely go find it, though. The Bears All-Decade team and that what-if piece that we ended up talking about. It's really good work from Kevin Fishbane and Adam Johns. All right, Johnsy. I'll see you in Detroit. Safe travels, my friend. See you at dinner. We'll have a nice... Yeah, we have dinner tomorrow night, and then our Thanksgiving feast in the Ford Field press box, which is pretty good, by the way. I will say, it's not bad. It's not like a real Thanksgiving, but... It's no, not, it's pretty good, actually. It's pretty good. All right, everybody, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the game. I'm sure you hope I'm wrong about my pick, um, but hey, what are you going to do? Follow us on Happy Twitter. Thanksgiving, everyone. Talk to you later. We're going to be simple. We're going to play fast. We're going to play hard. We're going to kill it, okay? This is a great acronym, you guys, right? Kill it. Keep it likable and learnable.